everybody. Happy Monday, Wiz. Uh, the NFL draft is behind us. We had a day of uh, digestion yesterday. Um, wow, I thought just an incredible technological feat that the, the NFL pulled off uh, over the course of three days. Such an impressive effort. Um, you know, it's, they said it couldn't get done. Roger Goodell got it done, uh, although by the end of uh, day two, he was looking extremely comfortable in, in that easy chair and down in his basement. But you know, kudos to what the league pulled off. Uh, I think it was a very, very, very special draft. Uh, obviously, record ratings. Uh, great to see the families together with with their prospective draft selections. Everybody getting to share in that joy. The children of the coaches, the dogs of the coaches. Bill Belichick's dog making a pick. You know, it was a very, very different feel. Uh, you know, I commend. Every effort that was made in order to put this production on, and uh, it made us feel really good. I know we're all still kind of struggling. Uh, cabin fever is setting in even further. I hope everybody is still managing to stay safe out there. Uh, but Wiz and I are here to talk about you know the results from from the draft and 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 what we thought about what happened. And you know today we're going to kick it off by talking about the AFC East and North. Wiz, how are you today? Yeah, I mean, so two points I just want to get in there um, before we get into specific teams and how they did is the NFL is like old man river. They they just keep rolling along. They say free agency is going on as promised. We're not changing dates. We're not changing anything about it. They did. They announced the draft date, April 23rd to the 25th. People were saying it shouldn't happen. It's not going to happen. And they just kept rolling it on uh, along uh, as as they as advertised, um, and really you know went through it. Not 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 many glitches at all. I mean, I thought it went very well, um, much quicker with this process. And the other thing I want to say is I don't know how anybody else or the people viewing it are going to feel. But I think people are going to look at Roger Goodell a little differently and react to him, and I hope they do a little differently because, I don't know, just something about the format, the fact that you saw a more personal side of him, the fact that they raised and helped get so much money uh, for for charity and, and and to help so many people, and the fact that he was interacting with the fans before every pick and his, his little comments that he was saying and sitting in that chair, looking exhausted, eat, eating M&Ms. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I never quite understood. I know we talked about this, why the booing. I think it's kind of like baked into the cake that people just boo because they think it's the right thing to do or they should do it. But I don't know. He just came off as much more personable, much more likable. I never had a problem with him to begin with, but I don't know. I, I think people may have a different view of him. I loved what he did for uh, you know for for the people that were 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 in dire need of some kind of sporting event to take place. The money he raised, the money that he did it with healthcare workers and first responders. I thought everything was brilliant, and uh, quite frankly, I, I loved everything about it. Uh, spot on, and uh, you know, six charities get a hundred million dollars. The fans contributing to it. I think to your point about about bringing everybody together and feeling normal again. And the, and, and the draft has become such a, had become such a glitz and glamour red carpet event, moving it from city to city. And I think what we saw is a more humble and human side of this. And again, yeah, with the kids, you know, sitting on their 
perspective GM and coach la- uh, coaches laps. You know, Mike Vrabel had a little bit of a circus going on in his house. Cliff Kingsbury, I, I thought there was a great Twitter exchange between Pat Mahomes and Tyron Metu um, uh, with regard to Kingsbury's spread that he had going on. But uh, to your point, Brett, it was a it, it felt just much more closer to home, a humble and human, human event. So great, great job, everybody. And I and I hope you're right about the Goodell side, because I think that's very, very true. So you yeah, know, he did. He yeah. did some. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he did some some great things, some funny things, some comments, doing a dance with Jerry Judy. I mean, he, he did a, he did a lot of funny things, entertaining things, and he just looked like a regular guy. He says this is where he sits and watches Sunday football. I think we can all relate. The M and M's is certain certainly something that me and all, most of our friends could certainly relate. Uh, so I, I thought it was terrific. Yeah, it makes me even more excited for football uh, than I thought I was. So, yeah, so let's, let's get to it. Let's get to it. Exactly. So, you know, we, we did a we did a lot of discussions about team needs and, and we're going to kind of move around in the same way. We're going to get much more detailed on the fantasy implications of what happens down the road. Not too far down the road, but we will. But let's start off with the AFC East and, and the Buffalo Bills, who, who we like a lot of what they've done in the offseason already. And, you know, their draft, they didn't have a lot of picks. They didn't have a number one pick because of uh, the, the Stefan Diggs um, trade. But, you know, look, they, they've made some additions to this team that, that should help them. What do you think about that, Wiz? Yeah, I thought, I thought, you know, you look at the draft and then you say, oh, okay, these teams don't have first-round picks. But everything's not the same, right? Uh, a team doesn't have a first-round pick because they made a trade three years ago. A team doesn't have a first-round pick because they made a trade two years ago. But the Buffalo Bills didn't have a first-round pick because, you know, just a few months ago, they just made that trade, digs straight up for the, you know, as part of a trade with the Bills. That's why the Bills didn't have all of their picks, and including their first-round pick. But they got digs. They were thinking, okay, we need a receiver. Um, let's get a, let's get an established guy. And as opposed to a rookie that you know may or may not be as good as Diggs uh, as he as as he becomes an NFL player. So uh, I'm I'm okay with that. And I like a lot of the things the Bills did here. I, I think AJ Epineza from um, Iowa with their second round pick is a player that easily could have gone in the first round. Zach Moss in the third round is a very very, very good compliment to Singletary. I like them. Uh, I, I'm a fan of Jake Fromm. I thought he was picked 100 picks, quite frankly, too late. Uh, so the Bills getting that player in, in the fifth round, I thought, fell to a, to a great value pick for them. And, uh, and, and, and they really added some depth at wide receiver uh, with Gabriel Davis, who, who, who really played well for, for Central Florida. So I, I thought those picks, they didn't have a lot of picks, but what the Bills had had left equity in terms of their draft capital, I thought they did well. And um, that's certainly going to be a factor, not only in the AFC East, but in the AFC as well. Yeah, well, I, I, I concur with that. And, uh, and I, I, I like what they did as well. And this, we already felt very good about this defense. They're better on offense. You know, the team makes, the team, the quarterback needs to take the next step up. They have the personnel to do so. Yeah, you have the Bills in uh, Keeper League, and I know you were uh, sending texts out to all league members saying that they uh, 
very well may be one of your keepers coming. Uh, I, 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 I have to consider that. I just it was an elite defense last year, and I think it's an elite defense again uh, coming in. And you know they lost, a, they did lose a couple of players, but as you said, Espinosa was a borderline one talent, uh, round one talent. You know it's interesting when you listen to people talk about this draft and veteran guys like Gil Brandt and and Bill Polian who who know a lot more about this than certainly I do, but talking about the fact that this was a draft where there was round one talent available in round two and round three. And I think we saw that. Absolutely. Right? And I think we saw that. And, 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 and it's really worthwhile, by the way, folks, you know, Wiz and I love to watch football. He watches a lot more college than I do, although I'm starting to get much more into it than I, than I previously have. But there's a lot of veterans out there. Find some good sources to listen to, and you can learn from everyone. And I think that's, that's one lesson that I take from this. And I, I really love listening to the experts discuss the draft you know, before we get into it. Um, and then that, that's going to take us into you know, the team that, as we talked about, the Miami Dolphins had so many picks coming into this draft. They they get what's perceived as their potential franchise quarterback in, in Tua uh, at, at the fifth spot. And then the rest of their draft gets to be a little bit interesting in that it's funny. Uh, they don't actually go in, in, a, in a draft with 37 wide receivers get taken. Miami Dolphins don't actually even take one. Um, they, they trade for a running back during the course of the draft rather than look for talent at that position during the draft. So, you know, Wiz, on the whole, uh, you know, this is a team that need to get better up front, and I think they've done that. Uh, what's your assessment of this, uh, of the Miami, uh, the Miami efforts? Yeah, so I, some good and some not so good as far as I'm concerned. So I love the Tua pick. I felt when I analyzed the quarterbacks in the draft, I had Tua right there with Burrow. I, I, I love the Tua pick at five. And 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 they made some and they did some other smart things along the way. I I love uh, Ibanike from Auburn. I think he's a, a, a certainly a, a you know a, a quarterback that was probably ranked you know right after. Um, uh, Henderson, as far as the best uh, cornerbacks in his draft, um, he's probably the third best. So I thought that was a, an outstanding pick. They actually traded down to get that player with their third pick. What I thought they could have done was they they, they did want to take quarterback and offensive tackle, um, which they ended up doing. I think I would have liked to have seen them trade the 18th pick and one of their fifth round picks or or or, or even their third round pick that I don't particularly think they did too well with, and then moved up and gotten one of those tackles, which Tampa Bay got the last one. Uh, they moved up to get the 13. So I think I would have liked to see them do that. What I did like from them was I, I liked them eventually getting Brita. That's not really a draft pick, but it's kind of using their equity to get Brita. I like them doing that. Solomon Kinley wasn't the most talked about offensive lineman from Georgia, but they got him in the fourth round. I thought that was, you know, another outstanding pick. So I like Tua. I like him getting Breida. I like them getting Kinley to shore up that offensive line even further. Instead of getting Austin Jackson with that pick at 18, I would have liked them to see an 18 and some equity and moved up to get one of those four tackles. But I think overall, the way I'm looking at the Dolphins draft, 
they did okay with all of the equity they had between their picks, the trade backs, um, and 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 the hits and misses. I, I think they just did okay. Yeah, and you and you know I'm a Breida guy. Um, you know, Breida had trouble staying on the field. That he's got a balky ankle, which he's continually dealing with, but. A really good complementary running back to to Jordan Howard, so that that could be a good twosome uh, if they can if if they can both stay healthy. And I think you know to your point uh, was sixty three players from the SEC were taken in this draft, and a guy like Igbenonigene is is battling against the guys from LSU, the receivers from from Alabama. So this is a really experienced and battle tested guy and and some guys definitely had him as a potential first rounder so yeah look Miami is investing in their future I, I think this is you know depending on how things shake out you know we're going to be talking about this team both this year and next year and and, and, and we like what they've done so Okay, so that takes us to the Jets, and this is Joe Douglas's first draft as general manager. You know, it was funny. A couple of guys were joking around, looking back at what the, uh, Ricky was, uh, our friend Ricky Lassen was joking about how bad the Jet draft was last year. And it wasn't Joe Douglas's responsibility. Um, it was a disgusting draft. And um, I think this year they did a lot better job. You know, they had Becton fall to them at, at number 11. We discussed that pick as going either – to the offensive line or one of those st- uh, stellar receivers, they chose to go offensive lineman. I think it was a good choice. And, and a guy that Wiz and I both had as going to the Green Bay Packers at the end of the first round, that Denzel Mims, comes down to the Jets, you know, very, very late. And I, I think overall the Jets have to be happy that they added some depth to a team that needed help everywhere. So the Jets had one of these true snake Type drafts. I love the first three picks. Not so much after that. Um, I love that they got Beckton. It makes all the sense in the world. Mims, actually, I had going 22nd to the Vikes because I never thought Justin Jefferson. I actually would like to get a hold of the OC, the Vikes, War Room, or in this case, um, you know, Spielman's draft board and see actually what they were going to do at that position had uh, Jefferson not been available. But actually, in my mock draft that we talked about, I, I, you had him going 30. I had him actually going 22nd to the Vikes. Um, I love that pick. You know, I like the player, but when you add that with the value of going 59th behind so many of these receivers, I feel he has way more upside. I, I love the pick. And if you look up athletic ability in the dictionary, they got a picture of Ashton Davis there uh, from Cal, who they took with their third pick at safety. He's all over the field. He's exactly what they need. So Becton, Mims, Ashton Davis, yes. After that, I'm not loving what the Jets did. The one thing I will say is um, is, is Michael Perrine from Florida is going to be, I guess, the direct handcuff, if you will, to Le'Veon Bell. And I guess that's a little teaser of the segment or show that we're going to do down the road where we're going to discuss handcuffs and what that means. But I love the first three picks. I understand the pick of P. Ryan. I don't love what the Jets did after that. So, you know. That's, yeah, that's it's funny kinda... too. They they, they they took a backup. They took a, took a guy who could potentially be a backup quarterback in Morgan, and they actually drafted a punter. So interesting choices uh, that that they made. Um, you know, afterwards, but the start of their draft was a promising one. So 
Let's see what happens there. And then they're off to the New England Patriots who, you know, there was a lot of speculation on, uh, you know, were they going to take a quarterback in this draft? And we got we got our answer on that. They did end up addressing the tight end position. They drafted two of them. You know, and aside from that, though, not a lot of skill guys in terms of the, on the offensive side of the ball in terms of like running backs and wide receivers that they took. They did spend some time building up some depth on, on both their offensive line and their defense. Um Wiz, you know, the Patriots are in rebuild mode. You know, how, how, how was this effort towards doing that? Okay, so here's what I love about them. They, Kyle Duger from Division II, Lenore Ryan, um, is a guy that they probably were going to take originally with their 23rd pick. And then they probably, you know, realized that nobody was going to take that player for a while. So they made a trade down and was able to get him. And I, I did a lot of film study on, on, on that player. And he reminds me of a player, one of my favorite players, my beloved Vikings, Joey Browner. One of these guys that he, if there's a short pass, he's the one there breaking it up, hitting the guy hard over the middle. If there's a run play, he's got that Bob Sanders attitude. He's going to do something about it. He's going to pummel you. And if you try and throw the ball deep, he's back there covering a lot of field. And the reason why he's such a Patriots player is he is also an elite punt returner. Um, I'm sure they're going to use him in all of those elements. He's going to fit perfectly back there, learn from these guys that the Patriots have in their secondary, secondary and Belichick's a, a defensive specialist. So that's a, that's a perfect pick and a perfect Patriots player. Josh Uche from Michigan at 60, I thought had first round or early round, second round uh, ability. I thought that was an outstanding pick. And then I think the kind of the Patriots outmaneuvered some of these teams at tight end. I thought Devin Asiasi uh, from UCLA is going to be a better player than Cole Komet, who the Bears took much earlier. So those three players, Uche, Kyle Duger, and Asiasi from UCLA, outstanding, not thrilled with the rest of the picks. Um, you know, a lot of their picks were, you know, offensive line. They took a place kicker from Marshall and defensive players, not really adding, like you mentioned, to the skilled players too much, with the exception of the tight end. They also took Dalton Keene from Virginia Tech. But Asiasi, I thought, was a great value pick. Uche as well. Kyle Duger is going to be a player to be, you know, there's going to be a play to be reckoned with for years to come at that safety spot for the Patriots. But considering they got an unproven quarterback and they didn't help themselves much in offense, I'm not quite sure what it's going to look like for the Patriots. They're not overly impressed with their draft, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think they've struggled with that over the years. They're not, they've not been known for, for doing a good job at the receiver side of the uh of the of the coin you know they've managed to trade for guys that have become valuable like an Amendola or or Welker um they, they've found little gems here and there and certainly Julian Edelman would be one of those and I would never doubt Belichick's uh, ability to, to 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 find those gems especially on the defensive side of the ball so yeah it, it remains to be seen where this goes and obviously the quarterback decision you know between Stidham and, and Brian Hoyer uh, will be the uh, will be the big test uh, going into the upcoming season 
Um, and that takes us to the AFC North. And, and somehow um, we're, we're going to start off with the Ravens, who for a really good team had a lot of picks coming into this draft. Uh, Ozzie Newsom, uh, you know, ta- taught the staff well there. Uh, you know, I think uh, when you look when you look at what they did, it seemed like every time that the Ravens turn came up, they were able to find value that no one else either saw or was able to do. And, you know, Eric DaCosta, uh, you know, worked under Ozzie Newsom and uh, just a, to me, it looks like a tremendous draft. Um, you know, when you get a top line linebacker like Patrick Queen in a position that they needed, you add further running back depth in J.K. Dobbins, you know, a defensive tackle in, in Justin Metabuke. And then, uh, you know, as a slot guy, Devin DuVernay looked like a really good pick, just waiting for the Packers to take him two picks later. And the, and, and the Ravens ended up taking him. So, uh, plus they took Malik Harrison, who was, who was really slated to be a, a, an earlier pick. So to me, I look at this draft, Really, really good draft. They got some late value late with the SMU kid, James Prosh, at receiver. And Wiz, uh, you know, did, did the rich get richer here? Certainly. So it started with their 28th overall pick. So if we can remember what took place there, this there was pandemonium going on once we got into the 20s with these picks. Some odd picks, a few trade-back picks, uh, 25, 26 trade-backs. And the Ravens stayed calm, cool, and collected, and they got their guy. On our mock draft selections, I had Patrick Queen slated for the Ravens. That was the player that I'm sure they had in mind to try and fill the void that C.J. Mosley left behind. And somehow they stayed calm, didn't panic, didn't trade up, and they got their guy. And in these drafts, there's an element to being good, but there's also an element to be lucky. And I think a few teams missed out on taking um, Patrick Queen from LSU, and the Ravens got their guy. A lot of these picks after are real value. J.K. Dobbins, uh, I know a lot of people, I know you thought – you mentioned that Swift, you had him going as early as 14 in the first round, and clearly he was your first running back. I saw the running backs a little differently. I had a grouping of guys. J.K. Dobbins was right at the top of that grouping. I thought that was a tremendous pick. It's obvious what the Ravens want to do. They want to run the ball and run the ball and run the ball, and I think you're going to see a little bit less of Lamar Jackson running the ball by having so many of these running backs um, and quality running backs as well. A few of you guys uh, that you mentioned, Matabuke from A&M, solid, definitely could have gone earlier than 71th overall. Uh, Devin Duvernay is an interesting guy. I think the Ravens are going to do some funky things with him. Um, I think they're going to, you know, try and get him the ball in different spots. Um you know, put him in a few different positions. I, 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 I like the pick. But one player that you mentioned who I think is the guy to look out for in this draft that the Ravens had is SMU's James Prochet. Um, he ran in a, uh, you know, an NFL-type offense, and he is not afraid to go over the middle. He has tremendous technique. And out of all of these guys um, in this draft, including their current wide receivers, that's a player that they took 201st overall. But I think, you know, you're going to hear a little bit about that player. So, um, you know, a great starting point for the Ravens roster coming into the draft. And 
it just continued from start to finish, all the way from Patrick Queen down to, you know, Prochet, uh, with the, you know, in the sixth round at pick 201, like what they did. Um, there's not really much else to be said except a solid team got a lot better. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's to your point on Prochet, Kuiper remarked a couple of times, uh, you know, probably about 30 picks earlier, he was shocked that the, that the player was still on the board, and uh, it lasted all the way to when they picked him uh, when they did. So, yeah, really interesting stuff. Um, that takes us to the Bengals, and the Bengals were the top of the, of, of the first four rounds. And, you know, the way I look at it, the Bengals came out of this draft, even though they didn't have a plethora of picks, they were at the top of the rounds in, in each in each of in each of uh, the seven rounds that they had picks. Joe Burrow was the number one pick, and I, I'm sure everybody in Cincinnati is excited about that. But I think they did some very very good things. Sorry, getting cutting out a little bit here. I oh. didn't hear what you said after the Ravens picks. Sorry about that. Uh, uh, getting on to Cincinnati. You hear me okay now? Hello. Yep. Now I got you. Yep. Sorry about that. A uh, little, little trouble there, everybody. Little technology issue, but um, yeah. So the the Bengals had had seven picks in this draft, the top of every round. Um, I think they did very, very good. Obviously, Burrow, number one pick. Uh, we, we know what that was about. But they made some very key additions to their team, uh, especially with their next three picks, building up on the offense, building up on on, on places where they needed. You know, other help, linebacker, off, uh, 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 two linebackers were taken with an extra pick. And they did two, took T. Higgins at the top of round two. Um, Wiz, what do you think about what the Bengals did? I'm impressed with what Cincinnati did. Um, they had seven picks. I think they had seven good picks, to be honest with you. Um, T. Higgins, as mentioned in other, you know, another podcast we did, it wasn't my would not have been my pick there. I had other guys rated ahead of him, but certainly a, a good value pick. Um, you can't, you know, the, the, you get Burrow, you want to give him as many weapons as possible. So I thought that pick was good. Another pick, um, I saw a lot of Notre Dame. I'm a Notre Dame fan in college football. I love the Khalid Kareem pick in in the fifth round. I thought, you know, he he's a player that is going to help Cincinnati on the defensive side of the football. I thought that was an outstanding pick. I, I even thought the the pick that they made in the fourth round, you know. Uh, Davis Gather gave from Appalachian State is also a good pick. So, as you mentioned, they got Burrow. They gave him another weapon with T. Higgins, and then three defensive picks in a row with Logan Wilson, uh, Hakeem Davis Gather, and and Khalid Kareem from Notre Dame. All good picks. Um, so impressed with Cincinnati. I, I like what they did. Um, they didn't have tremendous equity in this draft, but with what they had. I thought they they kind of didn't miss on any of their picks. Excellent. Excellent, excellent, excellent. You know what? Cincinnati has struggled, uh, you know, certainly last year under their new head coach. So we wish them well for the coming year. And I think, you know, if they get the mixing contract um, figured out, and plus Jonah Williams will come back. He didn't even play for them last year. So I think there's a lot of hope for Cincinnati. And um, that moves on to – the Lake Erie kids, the Cleveland Browns, um, they were able to get an offensive tackle in 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 Wills uh, Jedrick Wills from Alabama. Um, they ended up getting a uh, you know Grant Delpit uh, with their second pick and two interesting picks on defense um, in in Elliott from Missouri 
and Phillips from from who was the leading tackle tackler in the SEC from LSU at linebacker. This team needed some help at linebacker as well, and they took the guy who won the Mackey Award. Now they already had two solid tight ends, but they also took Harrison Bryant. So, Wiz, is this a draft where Cleveland can come away saying, "Hey, you know, we made our team better"? Uh, I absolutely love what the Cleveland Browns did in this draft. I mean, I haven't. Um, delved into like, you know, how I rate them one, two, three, you know, the, the, the overall best, but I cannot imagine that I would like many more drafts than the Cleveland Browns draft. So they got this new coaching staff. They do realize that this coaching staff probably does realize that Nick Chubb is their best player. Kareem Hunt is a very good one, a to go with Nick Chubb. Jedrick Willis, outstanding pick there had to be taken there. Uh, they wanted to get one of those four offensive tackles. They want to run the ball to be the basis of their offense. They did that. Grant Delpit is a fantastic pick. If he came out as a, as a junior, he probably would have been a mid first round pick. Some people, he, you know, he had some concentration issues, unbelievable talent, love the player, uh, tremendous pick at a position that they are so weak at. So I love the Grand Delta pick at safety. Elliott, rock solid at defensive line. Harrison Bryant, I felt, was one of my two or three best tight ends as far as who could really make an impact in the NFL. I certainly had him ranked above Cole Kemet from, from Notre Dame. Um, I think he could do – I think he's the future tight end there. I love that player from Florida Atlantic. And then, once again, at the very, very end, Donovan Peoples-Jones from Michigan is going to be, I think, you know, one of the sleepers of this entire draft. Terrible quarterback, terrible quarterback play in Michigan. You know, Cleveland Browns, one thing that they've had in their career is one of the greatest returners in the kicking game in Joshua Cribs. And this player is an elite kick returner. He's going to help them in aspect. And I think he's going to be an underrated part of the passing game that hasn't been able to really show what he's capable of doing to what I had mentioned about the poor you know, quarterback situation at Michigan. But I love Donald Peoples-Jones as the sixth pick, is pick number 187. I really love what this new coaching staff has done with this draft. Don't have a bad or negative or anything but, but positive about every single one of their picks. And some of them, I thought, tremendous value, especially Delpit in the second round and Donovan Peoples-Jones with the six pick, six uh, round. Yeah, and to your point on um, on uh, Harrison Bryant, so I love to listen to Charlie Weiss in, in the mornings on, uh, on on Sirius, and his kid coached um, Harrison Bryant for the last two years. Charlie Weiss went to every single one of those games, um, and this is a still a very very strong offensive mind when it comes to football. Harris, uh, uh, Charlie Weiss had nothing but glowing things to say about that player. So it's an interesting landing spot. I would have liked to have seen him from a fantasy perspective land somewhere else this year. But nonetheless, it's it's a player for future for, for the future radar for sure. I, I mean, I'm not. I mean, so if you look at their existing tight end situation, I, I think that I think the Browns and the Joku at some point 
are going to part ways shortly, you know, and, and I think I give that another year. Um, I'm not sure, you know, if they feel Ebron is a stop, a stopgap player or someone that is in their future, but this player is going to be in their future. And uh, they got themselves a really good young tight end. And uh, I, I love what Cleveland did in this draft. All right, fabulous. And we're going to wrap this one up uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, not a lot of good things to say about this draft coming in because of the situation that they were they were put in. Uh, granted, they did get Minka Fitzpatrick uh, uh, in the preceding season, and, and he's been an excellent addition to that defense. Uh, a player that I really looked at just watching a lot of Notre Dame games and his performance at the Combine. And, and you're going to talk a little bit more in depth about uh, about Chase Claypool, uh, who's going to be an, hopefully a, a, an interesting player for this offense. A little bit of a speed guy at running back. Not 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 the depth I thought they could have added at running back in this particular draft, but uh, they, they did draft a running back in, in Anthony McFarlane from Maryland. But this team didn't have a lot of picks, and I don't know that there's a lot here that excites me. Wiz, you, you know, as concerned as you were Coming into this draft, do you come out of the draft with with those same concerns? Yeah, well, I mean, it's tough. It's tough, right, when you only have six picks and you only have one pick in the first 101 picks to come out of a, a six-person draft unless you're doing some trade-downs or trading players to get – trading current players in your roster to get, you know, more picks. It, it's tough, to you know, to have only six picks and to only have one pick in the first one-on-one to – you know, have an amazing draft. It would be almost impossible. So um, let let me let me talk about the good. Chase Claypool, I know, is a player you watched at the Combine and you were, like, electrified. And, you know, what's not to be electrified by him? He's a, he's a, a big, strong player who runs fast. And, and, his, and, you know, when you watch him play, he, he, he's an electrifying player. Um, so this is what I think about the pick of Chase Claypool. It's one of two things as far as the Steelers thinking. It's either one, they agree with what my opinion is, which his best position and where he can really dominate is if they put him at tight end, call him a tight end, or really let him run his routes inside and be matched up against a safety or a linebacker. Uh, I think he could be dynamite. He's a big guy, a willing blocker. So if they do that, I think he could be outstanding. If their intention is to play him at wide receiver, I think he'll be okay. I think he'll, I think he'll be okay. But what that tells me is, right, if they're taking Chase Claypool to be in their wide receiver future plans, and you like what Deontay Johnson has shown, and you like James Washington, I think what it's kind of telling me is if they put him at wide receivers, they're not going to really commit to Juju Smith-Schuster when he becomes a free agent. So it's one of two things. Either they're going to put him at tight end, which I hope they do, or they're going to put him wide receiver and be happy going with the young guys and and. Schuster is not going to be a guy that they're going to pay a ton of money to to retain. The one thing I will say about Chase Claypool is he had an issue with drops. And it's not that he has alligator arms or he's looking over his shoulder or he's picking his head up too early and he's afraid to go over the middle. Far from it. It's not that at all. It's just he has an issue with drops. 
And what I am concerned about with a young player, if that starts carrying over to the NFL and the pressure of trying to make it, and that starts becoming an issue that can really affect a player's career in a negative way. So those are things that I'm looking at with Chase Claypool. He's certainly one of the most interesting players from a positional aspect, a talent aspect, and an overall seeing how it plays out. Um, so I, that, that'll be interesting to play, how it plays out. You mentioned Anthony McFarlane. I like the two Maryland kids that they took. McFarlane in round four and Antoine Brooks, who I feel should have been taken much earlier than round six. He's a playmaker. He and Mika Fitzpatrick together are going to be a dynamite safety duo for the Steelers. And McFarlane, let me just say one thing interesting about McFarlane, taken by the Steelers. Mike Tomlin's son played for Maryland. Yes, he did. And I'm just wondering, McFarlane was injured often, had some issues staying on the field. I'm wondering if Mike Tomlin's son, who saw him in practice and some of these things that he could do, I'm wondering if he gave his dad a little tip and said, this is like a second-round player uh, in terms of talent that you should take late. So there's some interesting aspects to some of these Steelers' picks. Fabulous. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap up the first two divisions in the AFC. There, we're gonna come back at you with the uh, the AFC South and the AFC West. Uh, good talking about this, and uh, we'll catch you in a little bit. Thanks, everybody. Perfect.